0: All right, so, Jenny, you're the first guest on Logan's Unnamed podcast.
1: Uh, I like the name. I think Unnamed is the name.
0: Yeah, I think it's just, I think it's the go for. And it's not saying that we've yet to come up with a name. It's me stating that is the name, obviously.
1: No, I think Unnamed is sketchy enough to fit your vibe, Logan.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. So um the subject for today and the next 12 days because we're doing 12 days of christmas is going to be a uh, film so festive yeah and so we're doing today we're going to talk about artistic film and then we'll have a second part where we're hopefully going to bring on chloe and we'll talk about netflix originals so Thoughts? Yeah, I don't know.
1: This isn't my podcast, so okay, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say here.
0: So um, we're going to start with artistic film. Also, I don't have a script for this, and I don't know how long we plan on running this. It's just kind of as long as we take to talk about the subjects. And so... I you mean, were, you can go in and edit it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, you're here to talk to me about artistic film. Um, and you should be back for the Netflix originals, but your, your big piece here is the artistic mm-hmm. film we're talking about. And normally, I would rank six bad ones and six good ones, but I couldn't find very many bad ones. So I have one really bad one to talk about, and then 11 good ones I want to talk about. So that's where we're at. And
1: I've seen one of all of these.
0: I I thought it was two. I I won't spoil what they are, because you're going to have to listen if you want to find out, but I thought there were two of them. I guess we'll see. We'll find out. Wait,
1: no, I've seen this. We'll see. We'll see.
0: Yeah. So the first one is Secret Window*, which is a Johnny Depp film. And I know you haven't seen this one. And there are a few here that I was like hesitant to spoil and probably won't spoil. I'm going to minimize how I talk about them so that you can experience them. Because this is artistic film and these are films that Mm -hmm. are really impressive and well done. But this is one that I don't care because this is the only bad one that I have. So, like I said, it's a Johnny Depp film. And this is one of the few movies where I, one of the few things that I do have to applaud is Johnny Depp is not acting drunk for the entire movie. This isn't, this isn't like half of his movie <laughs> roles where he staggers around and does something offensive.
1: Just, you should read the summary for this movie first because it looks like a mess. It just, it-
0: Yeah, okay, so I'm going to pull up the summary.
1: From the summary alone.
0: So should we (laughs) read the not look good. summary, or should we just read the basic? Because I'm going to spoil the- I just read the one that Wikipedia Wikipedia popped up. I'm just going to spoil the crap out of this. So I'm going to read the quick short summary. While in the process of an ugly divorce from his wife, writer Mort Rainey relocates to his remote cabin in upstate New York for solitude. Attempting to recover his mental health, Rainey has the misfortune of being found by John Shooter, a farmer who claims claims Rainey plagiarized his work. At first, Rainey ignores the accusations, but Shooter has no intention of quietly disappearing. Soon, Shooter becomes increasingly vicious in his quest for retribution. So I actually do like some of the ideas that were put out on this movie. I do like some of the concepts that they tried, right? My main problem Mm -hmm. is execution. So this movie starts and our main character, I don't care about their name. So I'm going to call him Johnny Depp, right? Johnny Depp is going through a pretty bad divorce. And so he goes to this cabin and when he gets there, he meets Shooter and Shooter accuses him of plagiarizing his book. And when he reads Shooter's like story, he finds it's near identical to his, except for the fact that the ending is different, right? Right. And hey. so he's confused by this, and over the course of the film, we see him trying to, like, find proof that this isn't real. And so he, he tries telling Shooter, like, he tries proving to him, like, this didn't happen, like, it's not real. Like, my my story's original, it came out before yours. And Shooter kills his dog and leaves a note for him that tells him to, like, come up with proof. As right? you do. Yeah, as, as you do. So already... I think one of the biggest problems that this movie suffers from is pacing because it wants to be artistic, like the genre that it's trying to fit into. The problem is it forces a lot of the ideas and like the pacing is just atrocious. They try to make it slow paced and, um, build. Okay, no. yeah, they try to make it like build as a lot of these movies do but they also have so many plot points that they want to fit in there that these plot points just rush themselves. So him killing his dog just kind of comes out of nowhere. Like you don't see it coming and it just happens. So then the movie continues and it's pretty typical. Like they're threatening one, each other. one, one of each the, They They keep threatening each other. Things are going down. And I believe it was Shooter's Home got like burned down right it could have been the author i don't I, I i saw this a long time ago and i've tried to repress the memory since but they accuse one another again things <laughs> get bad and we get to the the peak of the film where shooter goes up to one of the other characters i don't remember any of the characters names but he, i believe it was the sheriff and he throws open the back of the truck and we see two bodies of these characters that had been in the town with them and he tells Johnny Depp... Okay, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, things are, things are heating up. Things are really things are really going out there. So he tells so, Johnny Depp... So I
1: can... I was going to say, first impressions, I think reading the synopsis of this film, I would assume it was like a buildup, like arguing over dumb shit and then leading to like a thoughtful discussion between the two of them. And I think that immediately no. going to like no i'm angry at you i'm gonna kill your dog and then oh i'm angry at you still fighting i killed your dog though and then oh i killed two people
0: Mm -hmm. is kind of this is where it gets bad
1: opens a lot so yeah
0: yeah they they have the two bodies (laughs) in the back of the truck they have the two bodies in the back of the truck and he's suggesting he's gonna frame johnny depp for what happened But the things that he's, like, trying to, he's clearly blackmailing him, but the things he's telling Johnny Depp's character to do is, like, ridiculous. He's telling him, change the ending of your story to match my ending, and the ending of his story is the main character, like, killing his wife or something, right? And he's like, change it to the ending of mine, like, change it to my ending, my ending's better. And you're like, why does he care so much about the ending? That doesn't matter, right? And so it keeps going. And he tells Shooter, he'll come look at this magazine with him so that Shooter can prove it. And they dump the, the uh, truck over the side into the water so that he can't be, like, uh, criminalized or whatever, right? So he goes back to this, mm-hmm. um, this shack or whatever, and he, we see Shooter's hat. And he puts on Shooter's hat and starts talking to himself. And this is where the big twist of the movie came in. And I like the idea of the twist it's everything coming up to this. It makes no sense. So we find out.
1: I Yeah, it sounds heavily intense for...
0: Yeah, we find out well, the what it sounded like. The intensity is actually not entirely a bad thing. Some of the intense scenes are good. It's how we get to the intense scenes that's an issue. The movie is also only an hour and a half. And I feel like extending it even to two hours and pacing oh. it better would have really helped this movie. Yeah, yeah. So we get to this point where Johnny Depp's character is talking to himself and we find out that Shooter was like a figment of his imagination, right? Because he had dissociative personality disorder or whatever and didn't know it, right?
1: Dissociative identity disorder. Yeah,
0: Yeah, sorry. Okay. And so he he just didn't know this. And so finally, uh, the man that his wife had cheated on him with and the wife show up and when they get there he's talking like he's he's using the mannerisms of shooter and wearing shooters hat as if he is shooter right and he beheads both of them like the wife is forced to watch as he like kills the husband and then kills her and he's he he, so the one of the other characters from
1: the
0: the sheriff character right he comes to him and says that he isn't welcome there anymore and people are going to prove about what he did, because he's the lead suspect in these murders, naturally, because it's obvious he did it. And um, so he says, like, we're going to prove that you did this. And Johnny Depp's character says, well, that's okay, because I got the ending. I got the best ending to my story. So that's why Shooter was obsessed with these endings, but that's not built to or explained. And then it's suggested that Johnny Depp buried the bodies and is using corn like he he was he's growing corn where he buried the bodies so that he can slowly get rid of the evidence with like harvest and stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But for whatever reason, the sheriff man doesn't feel the need to check for bodies in the corn that he just starts growing. Doesn't randomly? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a little sketch. It's a very bad movie i'm gonna, i was gonna try and sugarcoat it but it's not good
1: in theory i think with better pacing and i think the better character dialogue at least from what i've heard from you because again i haven't seen it
0: mm-hmm. it
1: sounds like you could do a really interesting story
0: yeah relating
1: and to this guy who you know
0: yeah the, but it's the not cinematography, the cinematography in this film is actually pretty good it's, like, the, sh- the way it's shot is really solid. It's everything else that is just not great.
1: So what would you blame the badness on? Is it acting? Is it 100% writing? Is it a mix of both? Is I'd it, say, like, actually, I do cause. like
0: some of the acting. I don't think all the actors are putting in as much effort as the others. But Johnny Depp does pretty good. I'd say it's the pacing and the writing of the film. The dialogue is atrocious. The pacing is not good. And the story beats themselves could work, but they don't because of the way it's organized. It just falls apart. So.
1: So it's cracked up to the writing and not the actors. Because I yeah. think what makes a bad movie, you can have, it's just... Bad writing versus bad acting are two very different things in the terms of bad movies. And Johnny Depp has some great works. One of the other name had some pretty good works. I don't have the tab up on my phone. So I think it's safe to assume, again, with the way you've described this movie, that it was writing and yeah, pacing, where it was just too slow. So then certain things had to be rushed and they didn't have the time frame that they needed. Cause an hour and a half for any movie is short.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: like i i don't have movies especially with things like that aren't really like they're not that common and i think when they are an hour and a half it's just bad because it's it's not that much time for development or dialogue mm-hmm.
0: all right so i have the next two movies are both movies that jenny is yet to see and i don't want to spoil them but i'll read the basic descriptions and point out things i think were done really well And we're going into movies that I think are good. I don't have any more movies that I think are actively bad. These are just like good, but not as good as the top ones. And so the next two, I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to go in as in depth, but I am going to explain this a little bit. Uh, So the first, the next one, like on the list is Gone Girl. And this, this is a Ben Affleck movie. I I'm a huge Ben Affleck fan personally, And I'm I'm just going to read out the description here. Um, In Carthage, former New York-based writer Nick Dunn, or Ben Affleck, and his glamorous wife Amy, Rosamond Pike, present a portrait of a blissful marriage to the public. However, when Amy goes missing on the couple's fifth wedding anniversary, Nick becomes the prime suspect in her disappearance. The resulting police pressure and media frenzy cause the Dunn's image of a happy union to crumble, leading to tantalizing questions about who Nick and Amy truly are. So, this movie, I think it does uh, it does a couple things really well. The the writing is phenomenal, and the acting is also amazing. Without going into too much depth, uh, specifically Ben Affleck gives a lot of depth to his performance. That even when there are things happening that you may question, you like you can't pick a side because he's so compelling, and like it's it's just. It's amazing the way that they masterfully piece the character development into this story. It's just, it's really well done. Um, the next one that I, I'm not going to spoil too much is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And this one doesn't have a super long uh, description. And that, that has good reason because this is a movie that is very peculiar and follows a very strange set of rules. And it's the description is full of misgivings. A young woman travels with her new boyfriend to her parents' secluded farm, so she goes to meet um, like his family, and some peculiar. her parents, start, yeah. yeah, and some peculiar things start happening while she's there. And this is one of those movies. There's like no jump scares, but it is terrifying. It's it's one of my favorite. Like it has like existential themes, and it is a little hard to get through at points and there's some very split reviews on it it has like an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes but only a 50% liked the movie on Google users so it does have some themes that are kind of hard to swallow and such but I do think it is a phenomenal film and it's one of those movies that is less a movie for your common audience and more like a piece of like art that was using film as a medium mm
1: -hmm. Which could also explain an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 50% on Google users. Mm -hmm, So I think movies like that, that are very articulate and like you think a lot about, I think people, a lot of people watch movies, especially what, because according to the trailer, it definitely looks like just your typical horror jump scare movie. So I think a lot of the audience watching it was going in prepared for that. Mm -hmm. So I think watch that movie and go prepared
0: to think. Yeah. So um, let me look and find. So the next one, I am going to spoil this one. I don't feel as like uh, bad spoiling this one because it's kind of a comedy. It's like a dark comedy sort of. And it's not, it's not, it has, okay. I'll explain this in just a second. I have to look up the synopsis so I can explain some of this. So the next one on the list is The Art of Self-Defense. And this is a 2019 film, and it's kind of a, like an indie film. Um, so here is the description. After getting attacked on the street, Casey enlists in a local dojo led by a charismatic and mysterious sensei. He soon uncovers a sinister fraternity of violence and masculinity while learning how to defend himself from future attacks. Casey must now embark on a embark on a dark and frightening journey that places him squarely in the sights of his enigmatic new mentor. And so, this is a movie that normally I would I would put this significantly higher on my list, except for the fact that it's just a slightly worse version of The Machinist and Fight Club. And I'll explain that when I get to the, those movies individually. But this movie. It's kind of a weird, like, enigma where Fight Club, despite being a very, like, flashy and, like, mainstream film, has a lot of deep themes to convey. The Art of Mm Self-Defense is kind of, it went all in on the flashiness and nothing else. So I do think that it has some interesting things to say specifically about toxic masculinity. So Fight Club has some other stuff it talks about some other themes it delves into. This goes really hard on the toxic masculinity stuff. And sp- like that's a theme that's very like in the opening you wouldn't see it coming but it is very heavy in the second and third act. And I I can't say a ton okay. of, about the themes until we get to Fight Club. And I'll explain some more there, but the plot itself, I have a couple minor issues with. I do think this is a really good movie, but the we have this buildup um, to the mentor being doing something wrong, right? Um, one second, I, okay. I, I had some problems with my connection. I was just making sure it was still working. Um, so they build up to something bad happening with the mentor. The mentor is doing something dark and bad and there's a lot of ominous tension and what we find out he's doing is not as bad as you would expect and this is a it's advertised as a dark comedy but i do not think that this is a comedy movie there's very few comedic aspects to it and i i really don't think that it's that i do think it's a very serious film but the way it ends is just super anticlimactic where the terrible thing that the sensei is doing we find out is he films some of his students hurting people and then uses it to blackmail them into paying fees even when they're not taking the class anymore. And normally okay. that would be a fine motive, but the things he does in this movie, we see him we see him kill people, we see like active death happening in this movie. Like it's not it's not a good time. It just
1: not the vibe.
0: Yeah, and the the action itself is fine, and what we see happening wouldn't bug me. It's just his motive behind doing these things is ridiculous. And I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that sounds kind
1: of... I think in paper, the idea of like, oh, he's forcing people to pay because he has blackmail on them, of like something like that. On paper, it sounds amazing, but I think in practice, it sounds a little just like silly like it just seems like something you would find in like more of a teenager
0: age ranged movie than something trying to be a serious dark comedy Mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna i'm gonna explain the plot as i go into some of the main problems i have with the story and i'd like to emphasize again that i do think this is a great movie the only reason it's this low is because it's a worse version of fight club and we'll, we'll get to that but so The movie opens and we see our main character casey he has a pet dog which becomes important later and it's uh like a whatever the hot dog dogs are called like a schnauzer or something right and so he goes to get food for this dog (laughs) and we see a motorcycle gang pull up on him and beat the crap out of him right and so when he when he's like recovering he looks at buying a gun but buying the gun is too complicated so he finds this karate dojo And begins learning there. And over the course of the movie, we see him becoming more violent and erratic in his actions as he's doing this. And we also see the sensei kind of acting like inappropriately with some of the things he does. So one of the things is there's a female student at this dojo that is just as like better than all the other students. She's incredibly good, but he will not give her a black belt. And says very like demeaning things about how women are naturally less strong and things like that. So this is where we start the tax- toxic masculinity stuff. And the main character, mm-hmm. the main character Casey, he tells him that he listens to too feminine of music, makes him change to like metal, and tells him that he thinks his dog is too feminine. Right? He needs a more masculine breed. So he okay um, yeah yeah yeah. So, there are, of course, some of these elements were supposed to be slightly comedic, but none of it came up, came across yeah. to me as funny enough to be comedic. But so um, the the sensei is at like all these weird things start coming out, and then he tells uh, he tells Casey the main character that he's found one of the men who beat him up, one of the motorcycle guys, and it's made very painstakingly clear that when Casey gets there this is not one of the motorcycle members. It's just a random drunk guy from a bar that he's trying to get him to beat up. And when Casey asks for proof Mm -hmm. that it's him, he says there's a motorcycle in this parking garage next to here. And he actually sees the motorcycle and says, okay, this is him. So he beats the crap out of the guy. We see him like fight him. It's said, it it suggests he could have maybe died But we don't see anything to confirm it or not we see that he bleeds a lot and falls to the ground but that's it and when he takes the keys, so the the sensei films the entire thing happen and leaves and then we see casey take the keys that the guy had in his pocket and he realizes the keys were actually to a bicycle next to him it was not for the motorcycle and so he knows that this was not one of the motorcycle guys And when he tries confronting the sensei about it, he says that I was, you know, I was just trying to make you stronger. Right. And then Casey's Mm -hmm. dog, when he comes home, he finds out that his dog is dead. Right. So he takes it to the vet to find out what happened. And the vet confirms, like, it looks, it has the bruising pattern of a kick but the force of a punch. And one of the main like staples of the dojo is kick with, like punch with your feet and kick with your hands. Yeah. So he believes that someone at the dojo killed his dog. He tries confronting the sensei. The sensei won't admit any of this, is that it didn't, it didn't happen, that's not what happened. And so then the movie progresses and we find out that there's a night class where the people in the night class fulfill almost like vigilante justice to force these people into like bettering their lives. And so we actually see this happen when Mm -hmm. um, they all go out together on bikes and beat the crap out of a random guy in the street. And it suggested, of course, that they were the bike gang that beat him up, that eventually brought him to the dojo. And finally, in the end of the movie, we find out what happens. Um, Casey kills the sensei and there's a happy ending and it's fine, it's just the way that it's built up to all these events are phenomenal. I think it, the pacing is really good in this movie, the acting is really good, Yeah. And the uh-huh. events are ominous, and just when you realize who the Viking gang was, and it was actually them, you feel insane. And all of it's built, built around toxic masculinity. The reason why he goes and beats these people up is because he believes it forces them to better themselves and become like more masculine. So you really feel like this is this is crazy but then you find out the mm-hmm. bad thing he was doing was just blackmailing students with videos of them hitting people it's just ridiculous it doesn't line up
1: well like yeah i think blackmailing it again it's like this guy murders some random dog he's convincing people to beat the shit out of random people i'm allowed to swear right i don't know why I need to...
0: it doesn't matter yeah
1: Okay. So he's just letting people like beat the actual shit out of people for no reason, convincing them all these things, and then it's just a dumb money ploy. Is kind of like... It's just insane. And then, yeah, him being killed is also like a... I don't know. For him to murder somebody... For him to murder the sensei, I should say, over that is kind of... No, it's just over i don't know it seems kind of like overkill yeah to like it's like, really really over the top. Yeah. yeah
0: so anyway this um this next one i don't have a ton to say about this one this is one i think is severely underrated it has some pretty bad ratings and i think this is one of those movies that i'm a big fan of but i'm kind of one of few um, It's called The Whole Truth mm-hmm. and it's one of the few Keanu Reeves movies I'm actually a fan of. I'm not a huge Keanu Reeves fan. But the point of the movie is there. He, uh, this defense attorney takes the side of a like, this young attorney has this young lawyer as his partner trying to defend a teenager for the murder of his father, right? And I think the best thing that this movie has going for it is the pacing it unveils these truths to us as we go through the movie, but then it hides things and changes things and you never really know what's true until the end of the movie, and it's something you have to watch to understand, and the way that the movie ends is really shocking where we spend the entire movie watching the defense attorney, trying to figure out what's happening who's played by Keanu Reeves. And he's trying to find out. And then we find out at the end. So this defense attorney was a family friend. He'd been with the family forever. And he was actually in love with the mother. And it was the defense attorney that killed the father. And it is one of the best twists I've ever seen in a film. The way that it is portrayed is just so shocking. And it hits you all at once. And it just makes sense. It's really well done. All right. So this next one, I'm pretty sure you've seen at least part of this one, right? Um, Forrest Gump.
1: Yeah, I have seen part of Forrest Gump a long time ago.
0: Yeah. Okay, so... So I might not be
1: the best.
0: Yeah. So this is one, this is a classic. This is like pretty much everyone knows somewhat about Forrest Gump. So this movie came out in, I think, I want to say 1994, 1995. And it follows the life of a character named Forrest Gump. He's, um, it seems like he might be mentally challenged. He's, you know, just kind of slow to the world. And he goes through his life and we see all these miraculous things he done. And th- he, this is one of the movies I can't describe the charm it has, but watching this movie makes you just feel good and feel bad and you'll cry you'll laugh everything all the major plot points everything in between is just done miraculously and the ending shots of this movie make me want to sob every time it's just really well done i can, i'm not even what did you say something me yeah
1: No, I didn't say anything at
0: all. Okay. Um, Anyway, (laughs) sorry. Um, It's just, (laughs) it's really well done. It's truly phenomenal. And I'm not going to go super in depth on this one because it's pretty much everyone has seen it. And if you haven't, you need to see it. And this isn't a movie. The plot is not the-
1: Or you probably know all about
0: it. Yeah. And the, the plot isn't the main point of this story. It's everything- in between. It's not the ending. It's the journey to get there. And it's really, really good. Okay. So, um, I think there's a delay, Jenny, I'm, I'm just going to edit this part out, but I'm, I'm going to say, uh, at the moment you hear this, like reply this.
1: Okay. I heard it, and then I forgot to say anything because I was swallowing.
0: Okay, I'm going to do this one more time. When I say the word red, <laughs> when I say the word red, reply, red.
1: Okay, red.
0: So okay, I th- I maybe it's not as bad as I thought. But maybe you're just being quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to you not being. Well, loud.
1: yeah, I just. Well, I'm listening. I'm trying my best to listen.
0: <laughs> okay. So I don't think and learn and one. educate once myself. We, once we get to stuff you actually know, you're free to like speak up. at will. Um. So of course the of next course. the next one on the list is Donnie Darko, which is kind of a cult classic. I'm a big fan of this movie. Um. And here's the synopsis for the movie: During the presidential election of 1988, a teenager named Donnie Darko sleepwalks out of his house one night and sees a giant, demonic-looking rabbit named Frank who tells him the world will end in 28 days. When Donnie returns home, he finds a jet engine has crashed into his bedroom. Is Donnie living in a parallel universe? Is he suffering from mental illness? Or will the world really end? So, this movie, okay. it is big. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> Just dropped my mic. Anyway, <laughs> yes. so this this movie is really big on absurdity. Like, the stuff that happened I'm so
1: excited you threw your bike across
0: the room (laughs) you know I I was just so happy to get to this movie I just chucked it (laughs) so
1: um... it was just the way you threw it okay continue
0: yeah yeah so the uh the movie itself is I have to read some of the plot points out to you so you can understand this and I don't remember all of them so I'm gonna like quickly skim through this wikipedia uh article so over the next few days he continues to see the bunny and his parents send him to like a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist thinks he's just seeing like hallucinations and might even have schizophrenia but uh frank the bunny begins to like influence his actions as he goes about his normal day and he actually floods his high school by breaking a water main and then he also starts seeing uh he, like he starts dating this girl named gretchen and mm. so they uh this character named dr thurman he hypnotizes donnie when they get to their next therapy session but it gets to this uh he he, he it like the <laughs> the hypnosis it ends with him discussing his sexual fantasies involving um Christina Applegate. And he unzips his pants, causing his doctor to like end the session. And so he goes with his he goes with his friends, shoots bottles, not important stuff. And then his gym teacher attributes uh, the act of vandalism to the influence of a story called "The Destructors" that was assigned by the teacher. Um, they start having attitude lessons. Let's see, none of this is super important. Okay, so. Later, while watching football, Donnie notices bubbly columns emerging from the chests of people that show um, Donnie where the person will move. A bubble appears on his chest, and he follows it to his parents' closet, where he finds and takes a gun. And so, um, Kitty arranges Cunningham to speak to school assembly, where Donnie insults him. He later finds um, Cunningham's wallet and address, and Frank suggests setting his house on fire, which Donnie does. So he sets the the guy's house on fire, and when his mm-hmm. firefighters get there, they discover a horde of child pornography. Um, the guy is arrested, and then Kitty, who wishes to testify in his defense, asks Rose to take her place chaperone for their daughter's dance trip. Blah blah blah. Um, so Donnie and Elizabeth hold the Halloween costume party to celebrate Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth's acceptance into Harvard at the party Gretchen arrives distraught as her mother has gone missing and it is implied that she and Donnie have sex for the first time. Um, And then Donnie realizes that Frank's prophesied end of the world is only hours away. He takes Gretchen and two other friends to find Sparrow. Um, They run into two bullies Seth and Ricky trying to rob Sparrow's home. Donnie Seth and Ricky fight in the road in front of her house just as she returns home. And then Ricky and Seth flee when an oncoming car runs over Gretchen, killing her. The driver is Elizabeth's boyfriend, Frank Anderson, wearing the same rabbit costume from Donnie's visions. Donnie shoots him in the eye with his father's gun and walks home carrying Gretchen's body. Donnie returns home as a vortex forms over his house. He takes one of his parents' cars, loads Gretchen's body into it, and drives, into, uh, um, drives to a nearby ridge that overlooks town. There he watches as the plane carrying Rose and the dance troupe home from Los Angeles gets caught in the vortex's wake, which rips off and catches one of the engines. Events of the previous 28 days rewind. Donnie wakes up in his bedroom, recognizes the date is October 2nd, and laughs as the jet engine falls into his bedroom, crushing him. Around town, those whose lives Donnie would have touched wake up from troubled dreams. Gretchen, who in this timeline had never met Donnie, bikes by the Darko home the next morning and learns of his death. She and Rose exchange glances and wave wave, as if they know each other, but cannot remember from where. So. Okay. This movie is a bang. That's a lot. Yes. So this movie, it is like impossible to place everything happening. And I, I don't know what you're using this on, but if you can look up just Donnie Darko and see what the bunny looks like, it alone Not only haunted my nightmares, but shows you exactly what this movie is about and the energy that this movie has. I walked
1: in on my siblings watching this once and it was not the vibe.
0: It is honestly... I can't place... This is another one you have to see because the plot makes no sense, but watching it, it is beautiful. It is terrifying. And it has like this existential dread that comes with the movie. It is truly miraculous and watching it you feel this hollow terror for the entire movie it's it's really well done
1: and the actors in it look all have some pretty good i think they all have established careers
0: yeah especially jake gyllenhaal the guy that plays jake gyllenhaal
1: drew barrymore patrick swayze Mm
0: mm-hmm All right, let's see. What's our other films? Um, the Machinist. So this is another one. I can't go into it a ton because it has some similarities to Fight Club that I want to draw. But The Machinist is like, like I said, how the art of self-defense is Fight Club without any of the, without any of the depth and all of the flash. This is it with, without any of the flash and all of the depth. So when you watch The Machinist, It's incredibly hard to get through because it's like really slow paced and it's really good, but it just kind of, just kind of drags, you know? Yeah. But the plot is significant and tells an interesting story. I'm going to, I'm going to read the description real quick. Factory worker, Trevor Resnick, who's played by Christian Bale, suffers from insomnia so severe that his condition has taken its toll on his weight and his mental health. When Trevor unintentionally causes an on-the-job accident that horribly injures a coworker, Michael Ironside, he begins to become even more troubled. Despite a relationship with Stevie, who's played by Jennifer Jason Leigh, a pretty prostitute, Trevor descends further into his paranoia, blaming his problems on an enigmatic figure named Ivan. So, this movie—it's one of those one of those movies I can't completely describe the plot. But it's it has this scene where we find out that Ivan is like in his head and isn't it, it's he's placing these ideologies around him almost and he gets in this mm-hmm. fight with his girlfriend and the scene is like chilling. I don't know, have you seen Christian Bale in this movie like photos of him in this film? No, but I'll. Yeah. So he lost a ton of weight. Glenn, he was like right now. He was about 120 pounds when they filmed, and it's it, it's terrifying. Oh yeah. Yeah. Find the photo with him doing like the bird arms and sucking in his cheeks. It's I see it, and it's not. Yeah. That's. Yeah. He um preparing for this film. He actually every day the only things he would eat was like a half can of tuna in a water bottle. And if he was really hungry and couldn't take it, maybe an apple. And he ate that like every day for so, months.
1: Okay. Because yeah, that's, that's definitely eating disorder weight.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he, which... he, he really wanted to represent the insomnia that, that Trevor feels in this film.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, it's phenomenally the the christian bale is one of those actors he always puts a ton into his roles and like i said it's hard to explain the plot of this movie without completely like most movies i would just spoil it and even when you watch it you get the same feelings and emotions but this if i spoil everything about the movie it completely changes it and it becomes unbearable to get through but it's it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. And his performance is by far the highlight of this film. I love Christian Bale.
1: I think, yeah, he does good on everything he's in, I feel like.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so number, number four, The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So this is a Jim Carrey movie. And most of the time when you say that, people... Are either like, oh man, I love comedies, or they step away and don't want to speak to you anymore. But, yeah, <laughs> but this is actually, yeah, a, this is a good, this is a good Jim Carrey movie, I swear. And it is one of his few movies that actually takes on a serious tone. It's not a comedy, which at hey. first, when you watch this movie, will make you incredibly uncomfortable. Because seeing Jim Carrey make normal human facial expressions and talk in a normal voice makes you want to sob. But he does a really good job. He actually puts a lot of effort into this role. And the basic concept of this film, it's pretty simple. And it's pretty much what you would expect out of it. But the the concept is in this world, exes who don't want to remember their ex can have the memories of them removed. Right? So if i like for example right for some of the people listening they won't they won't understand this but that girl that you and i know mutually that i dated right mhm if i didn't want to remember her anymore i could just have the memories of her pulled right okay so mm. it, it would just completely revoke that so jim carrey his his character i don't i don't remember his name off the top of my head but he dated a girl named clementine right the eternal. I want to. I want to find his name. Uh, do, 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 do,
1: do, do.
0: Joel. So our main character Joel suffers a breakup with Clementine, and after the breakup, uh, he finds out that Clementine has had him removed from her memory. Removed from her memory, and he's upset by it. And on an impulse, he decides to have his memories of her removed. Right, but as the movie continues, we have two plots happening at once. The people removing his memory, we find out that one of them is using the memories that they were. So to have the memories revoked, he had to go to the doctor and like give anything mm-hmm. that reminded him of Clementine to the doctor. Right. So that not only he wouldn't find anything in his house that reminded him of Clementine, but it also showed them what they needed to remove from his memory. Right. Right. But one of the assistants to the doctor is using the stuff that he gave them to unethically um, win Clementine over, right? So he's he's using it to try and like seduce her and like get her to love him. Um, So that's happening. And then while that's happening, we're inside Jim Carrey's mind, which normally you would expect to look like the Cat in the Hat movie, but he's sane usually for most of the movie. And we go through each of his memories of Clementine. And at first we see the bad memories where they're fighting and they don't want to be together anymore. And we see why they don't want to be together. But progressively over the, over the course of the film, we see the good memories come up and Jim Carrey or Joel, he realizes he doesn't want to forget Clementine that he wants to keep the memories, even if it's painful and he's trying to hide the memories from the doctors. And. Okay as this plot is happening uh he is he's unable to do it he forgets about clementine clementine has forgotten about him but the doctor that had like orchestrated the whole thing his assistant finds out that her and him had like a romance together and that she had had the memories wiped because he didn't want his like his wife said she would stay with him if she had the memories wiped and she's so upset by this because she realized she was falling for the doctor again. And she decides it's not ethical to remove these memories. And she sends out all of the evidence of the removal of these memories. So the movie ends with, in the opening, we saw Clementine and Joel meet for the second time. So after they had forgotten their memories, they met and they were talking again, and they were like dating again, despite the fact they didn't know that they'd known each other. And they get this evidence, and they listen to it, and it's it's like it dis it's distra- they're distraught because it's th- all this stuff about them hating each other and what they don't like about one another, and. Clementine tells him that he just needs to leave because it'll end the same way. And it ends on a mildly depressing, but like overall happy note of Joel saying he doesn't care as long as he gets it. He, as long as it ends the same way with her, it's him being uncharacteristically brave and saying that he doesn't care that it's going to end in a bad way. He wants to spend that time with her and he wants to live with her again. And it's it's beautifully shot. The cinematography is great. The story is great. The acting is phenomenal. And the emotional themes in this film just make you feel like in undescribable emotions about the way that humans connect, human relationships, and love in general. It's gorgeous. It's a, an amazing film.
1: Yeah, sorry, it's a lot to process with that one
0: yeah these are all and hopefully when we get to the second bit when we talk about netflix originals you'll have more to talk about here definitely so this is one that i think you've seen the curious case of benjamin button
1: yeah parts yeah
0: okay so we can talk about this one let's go so this is actually based off a child's like story and when i first heard about this i was like there's no way this will be good because the children's book is so small How are they gonna make a full movie about this for adults, right? And of course, the plot is the main character played by Brad Pitt, Benjamin Button, is born an old man who ages backwards. And I'm I need to look up curious case. I need to remember what the woman's name is. But while he's growing up, he meets a woman named Daisy. And uh, she's played played by Kate Blanchett and throughout his life daisy comes in and out of his life as she's growing from a young girl to an adult and the only thing driving benjamin through his life is he's hoping that one day he will come into um he will come into daisy's life when they are at the right age that they can be together he wants to a big a big emphasis of this movie is time and yeah so a lot of the people around benjamin die i'm trying to Trying to remember all of i know that like his um his adopted mother i believe passes away uh stuff like that and like the way that he's raised by his adopted mother because he lives in like this home it's clearly he was raised in a way that he didn't feel important and so when he finally has a daughter with daisy he like abandons them and goes on these journeys but as we see him go on these journeys every person he meets that teaches him something about the importance of life disappears from his life and like dies or vanishes in some way. And it, um, as it happens, he ends up coming back to Daisy and there's some uh, jump back and forth between that. And the final, like, I want to say five minutes of this movie are what I would consider perfection. As we see uh, Daisy with a, a child, um, Benjamin Button, all the way up until he's a baby and dies as a child. And then we see Daisy's death as an old woman. And uh, anything you want to add to this before I go into themes, anything you particularly like about this story?
1: No, I think you've done a good job. I can't think of anything.
0: Yeah. So themes, I'm guessing you're going to have stuff to say about the themes here because of course, there's a lot, (laughs) there's a lot here. So I do like, this isn't a huge theme, but him leaving um, Daisy, after what happened to him and being unable to connect, was well handled. I did like that, and of course, the gorgeous final shots. Uh, of course, we I can't show people listening the shots, but the shots of all the people that taught him, leading to his like his birth, death thing, and then yeah, shown... it's hard
1: to describe. It. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah,
0: him his life leaving and that's i think that's a big part of the film is what do you call it birth death it doesn't matter i think like, like just like how they show like a big emphasis on this movie is time and they show a clock a lot And the final shot of the movie's a clock i think a big part of this movie and you can you can disagree if you don't agree but i think the main takeaway is birth and death and all of that it doesn't matter as long as we use our life to the fullest and
1: I, yeah benjamin button you watch that movie and i think afterwards you reevaluate.
0: Yeah, it's how movie. much time
1: you have left and how you use it
0: yeah and i think there's so a, it's
1: a self-reflection
0: yeah i think this is one of those movies that it's less about the movie itself it's what you take away from it and once the credits rolled it's a movie that i just can't stop thinking about because of the huge implications that it leaves on humans in general and the time that we spend on this earth it's, it's almost haunting in the themes that it gives off. And of course, it's a very existential film, but it's like haunting yet gorgeous at the same time. And it just, it's handled so well. I love everything about it.
1: I think part of the beauty of that movie also is the fact that like, when you go into it, reading the synopsis and like summary same thing of the movie mm-hmm. you're thinking kind of like a goofy idea of like oh like a, it's like this little like baby thing and like even when you start watching it i feel like for a good like decent like beginning start of this movie you don't realize how what big of an effect these themes have and how like genuine because yeah. it's like like it's goofy it's goofy mm-hmm. to think of like you give birth to a baby that's like 95 and it's like i don't know i think there are kind of like moments where it's like you start to realize it gets serious but it kind of like almost sneaks up on you and like towards the end like you sit and you're like i wasn't expecting that but i'm kind of glad i wasn't because i was you know it's just like i don't know it like yeah slowly opens your mind toward the idea of the themes and then they just like spring up on you and it's like okay now, what can I in my own life do towards my clock that's slowly running out?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, it's a very, it's a very goofy little book. Like, it's not, uh, it's not a super serious, like, when you start it, the, th- like, the little stories they're telling, while they do have somber endings with people dying and stuff, it doesn't feel important until those themes are tied together in, like, the third act nearing the end when we see Brad Pitt as like a young man slowly aging into a child, that's when things really have this like big effect on you emotionally and the way that you just view the world. It changes the theme of the movie and it's usually theme consistency is a big issue, but here it's handled so well that the change in theme is welcome and not a problem. And I think it's wonderful that they managed to pull that off.
1: I think also lots of movies and just yeah movies all of the time they have forever they will continue forever to give you the you don't have you have a limited amount of time idea but I think the problem that those movies make is they all start with when the person is dying you're seeing them like eg- exit the world versus like I think I like the curious case of Benjamin Button is it's his entire life journey and although it's not a typical life journey because we're not born 85 years old Mm -hmm. it's still concise enough and makes enough sense and I feel like you can still relate it to your own self yeah in that sense where it's like you know and it's also yeah like you said death and birth they're not like they're still kind of the same they're still just opportunities and it's you can birth is just the beginning no matter how you begin and death is the ending no matter how you end Mm-hmm. and it's just the middle parts that matter and i really like that that it was like there have been so i've seen countless movies where it's like you matter you're important do use your time wisely and it's like okay it sticks for 25 minutes like the drive home from the theater and then it's mm-hmm. done
0: but yeah benjamin
1: I... button has carried for years
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think it's beautiful it's what it does best is placing you right in the middle of this film in a way that it conveys the themes. Cause there's always those movies that make you think, Whoa, this is about the journey. That's what's important here. But giving it these, like, like I said, like having an existential concept that it uses really makes you think about it more. And it gives you like this more lasting effect of how you view it.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah, it's just, I don't even know. You can't even really describe, like, the themes in that movie. Mm -hmm. Because even if you give an in-depth, if you talk about every single shot for a shot frame, you still, it's the way it's delivered. It's all of the characters. I feel like they were all very well at. Like, they all did a good job at acting. Mm. And the script was just beautiful. Like, it was just one of those things where it's, like, it was well thought out in every part every person was playing a role that they wanted to play they didn't they didn't go in it for just a money grab everyone was like okay this is and i think that's a huge chunk of it because in a lot of movies acting is always make or break in movies but like in a movie with a script like this you have one bad actor who could be super minor who you only see for like a little bit it weakens the entire plot and -hmm. just kind of like you don't focus on the main point of the entire movie because of the way it's set up. And I think that they did a really good job at being like, okay, we don't want you to have something bad that you're, like, focused on. You need to focus on all of these other things and then bring it inward. You have to bring it into yourself to think about.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So, anything to add to the Curious Case of Benjamin Button? I think you've Nothing summed it up pretty well. I think we're... I. All right, yeah. so the next big one is seven. So this is number two. So one number one is coming up right after this. So seven, I'm going to read the description out really quick. Um, when retiring police detective um, uh, William Somerset tackles a final case with the aid of newly transferred David Mills. And so the re- retiree is Morgan Freeman and the transferring rookie is Brad Pitt. They discover a number of elaborate and grisly murders. They soon realize they are dealing with a serial killer played by Kevin Spacey, who is targeting people he thinks represent one of the seven deadly sins. Somerset also befriends Mill's wife, Tracy, or Gwyneth Paltrow, who is pregnant um, and afraid to raise her child in the crime-riddled city. So, the plot, when you go into this movie, like, I want you to tell me, when you hear that plot, you immediately think of just like an action movie, right? Like, kind of a, a drama yeah i'm
1: thinking a lot of like yeah definitely a lot of action scenes kind of like i don't i wouldn't like from that description i wouldn't put that into an art category Mm -hmm. i'd think of it as just like a i don't know just like yeah like your typical action kind of like working in like some other overarching themes that are cool but not like something that you would genuinely you know but from what you're saying about this, I'm assuming no. And then it's not yeah. just an action.
0: Um, and so, yeah. So typically you would just assume this is an action, but it's the themes of the film. So I'm not going to read out the entire plot. Um, the plot is phenomenal, but it's not what's important. This is one of those movies that the ending is the peak of the film. So Doe... John Doe who's that they call him John Doe because they don't know the serial killer's name, right? He leads both of the uh, detectives to this remote spot and he, he he's killing people based off the of seven deadly sins, right? Yeah. So he brings all of them out and I'm going to read this last paragraph for what happens. Doe's directions lead the detectives to a remote deserted location and within minutes a delivery van approaches. Mills holds Doe at gunpoint while Somerset intercepts the driver, who says he was instructed to bring a box to them. Doe begins to taunt Mills, telling him how envious he was of his life with Tracy. Somerset opens the box and in a sudden panic warns Mills to stay back. Doe states that his sin was envy, and Tracy died as a result. So his wife's head is in the box, right? Um, Okay. And she was pregnant, right? And so then, despite Somerset's warnings, so despite the other detective warnings, Mills fatally shoots Doe, representing Wrath and completing Doe's plan. Somerset and the police captain watches the devastated Mills is taken away, and Somerset offers Mills um, help. When the captain asks where where he'll be, Somerset replies around. So the movie ends with him completing this cycle in this absurd and unexpected way. And this is one of those movies it is kind of one of like a like a typical action drama movie except that it has these themes around the seven deadly sins and what represents them and the way that it ends just redefines it and john doe as a character he's super well-rounded the writing's great actors are all phenomenal it's just all around really solid here and of course i don't have as much to say about the curious as i did about the curious case of benjamin button i do think Overall, this is a slightly better film, and I'm not, I I don't, the themes, I think, are better in The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, but I do think that this one handles the plot and the way that the themes are told slightly better than The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. But, of course, this is a personal list, so, you know.
1: That, yeah.
0: And then, my number one spot... My number one spot of for artistic film, like my favorite artistic film of all time, and this is another one that I kind of have to explain why it's artistic, is Fight Club. So, <laughs> talking about this movie, most people are going to be like, that is a movie about men hitting each other, which technically it is. But there's also a lot of other themes that go into this one. So, I don't know. Have you, have you ever seen Fight Club? No,
1: but I understand i feel like everyone even if you haven't seen fight club it's so in pop culture that you mm-hmm. basically know all of and fight Club. that's a so big I know thing all of fight club
0: yeah that's a big thing that i'm going to bring up is we talk about why i love this movie so much because this not to spoil the last list that we're going to come out with on christmas day so if you if you've gotten to this point you should listen to that podcast when it comes out but this is in my top <laughs> this is this is in my top 10 films of all time. I love this movie. I won't say where, so you can find out when we get there. But so here's the plot synopsis A depressed man, Edward Norton, I also love Edward Norton, he's a phenomenal actor, um, suffering from insomnia, meets a strange soap, uh, soap salesman named Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, and soon finds himself living in, um, in his squalid house after his perfect apartment is destroyed. The two bored men form an underground club with strict rules and fight other men who are fed up with their mundane lives. Their perfect partnership phrase when Marla, played by Helena Bonham Carter, I think it's said. She played Bellatrix in Harry Potter. Um, a fellow support oh, okay. group crasher. Yeah, a fellow support group crasher attracts Tyler's attention. So, when I read this plot out, there's some immediate similarities that you can find in both um, The Machinist and. Uh, what do you and The Art of Self-Defense so I'm going to talk about The Art of Self-Defense first because that one has um, some more apparent ones and the reason why the more apparent ones are there is because the stuff that The Art of Self-Defense has in common with Fight Club is its flashy pop culture stuff which makes sense because that's what The Art of Self-Defense mainly took away from it so both movies are about an office rat fed up with his mundane life fed up with something happening to him Um, seeking out fighting as a form of a release in some way Um, they develop a not quite uh, romantic relationship with the um, woman involved in said um, fighting and then they have issues with their mentor partner figure so there's some clear definitive the plots take very similar routes but fight club just has much more depth And now I'm going to, this is one of the ones I'm going to have to read out like the full description here because it's a chunky one. So (laughs) don't say chunky. You know what I mean? It's, it's it's big. (laughs) So the narrator an automobile recall specialist is unfulfilled by his job and possessions and suffers from chronic insomnia to cure this. He attends support groups posing as a sufferer of diseases. His bliss is disturbed when another imposter Marla Singer begins attending the same groups. The two agree The two agree um, to split which groups they attend. On a flight home from a business trip, the narrator meets soap salesman Tyler Durden. The narrator returns home to find his apartment and all his belongings have been destroyed by an explosion. Disheartened by his material loss, he calls Tyler and they meet at a bar. Tyler tells him he's trapped by consumerism. In the parking lot, he asks the narrator to hit him and they have a fistfight. The narrator moves into Tyler's home a large dilapidated house in an industrial area. They have further fights outside of the bar, which attract growing crowds of men. The fights move to the bar's basement where the men form Fight Club, which routinely meets. Marla overdoses on pills and telephones the narrator for help. He ignores her, but Tyler um, Tyler goes to her apartment to save her, after which they begin a sexual relationship, much to the narrator's irritation. Tyler warns the narrator never to talk to Marla about him. The narrator blackmails his boss for the company's assets to support Fight Club and quits his job. Um, More new members join Fight Club, including Robert Bob Paulson, a man with testicular cancer, who the narrator had met in a support group. Tyler then recruits their members to a new anti-materialist and anti-corporate organization, Project Mayhem, without the narrator's involvement. The group engages in subversive acts of vandalism, increasingly troubling the narrator. After the narrator compli- um, complains that Tyler's excluded him, Tyler reveals he was the one that caused the explosion at the narrator's condo. When Paulson is killed by the police during a botched sabotage appar- um, operation, the narrator tries to halt the project. He follows a paper trail to the cities Tyler had visited, discovering Project Mayhem has spread throughout the country. In one city, a project member addresses the narrator as Mr. Durden. Confused, the narrator calls Marla and discovers that she also believes he is Tyler, Tyler appears in his hotel room and reveals that they are dissociated personalities. The narrator assumed the personality of Tyler when he believed he was sleeping. Um, The narrator blacks out. When he returns to the house, he uncovers Tyler plans to erase debt by destroying buildings that contain credit card records. He apologizes to Marla and warns her that she is in danger, but she's tired of his contradictory behavior and refuses to listen. He tries to warn the police, but the officers are members of the project. He attempts to disarm the explosives in one building, but Tyler subdues him. With Tyler holding him at gunpoint on the top floor, the narrator realizes, as he and Tyler are the same person, the narrator's holding the gun. He fires it into his his own mouth, shooting his cheek. Tyler dies, and the narrator ceases mentally projecting him. Project Mayhem members bring a kidnapped Marla to the building. Holding hands, the narrator and Marla watch as the explosives detonate, collapsing buildings around them. So, a lot to take in here.
1: Yeah, that was, you know, that was a chunky boy. I hate to say it, but it's true.
0: So, when people watch this movie, you have two groups of people. You have, fil- like, film slots like me. Okay. And-, <laughs> and you have men who are toxically masculine that like watching men beat each other, right?
1: Okay, like me.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> My my favorite thing about... So like, like I said, I waited to talk about The Machinist because now that I've described that plot, you can really see the similarities to The Machinist. Man suffering yeah. from insomnia that's projecting this man into his life that's ruining his life when it's really himself, right? And just clear, like, thematic similarities. I would like to point out, this movie is just phenomenal this the last half there's a scene of course i can't show people listening i'll probably send it to you after because i really like the scene but it's tyler it's the scene where tyler and the narrator are fighting but of course the narrator is tyler and it's him like fighting Mm -hmm. himself in the acting is just so good i love i love all the actors in this movie they do phenomenal job and the scene at the end where we see the two of them um, holding hands as the buildings explode around them, it's gorgeous and just perfectly sums up the themes of the entire movie. And this, so like, like we said before, the main problem with uh, um, uh, the, the art, the art of self-defense, the main problem with the art of self-defense is as it progressed, the film like, this, the motives behind it weren't enough, and it built up too quickly. With this movie, it's the opposite, where the motives are clear, and the buildup is slow and gradual. It just starts as men hitting each other, and it becomes a full-blown terrorist-like... Um,
1: organization.
0: Yeah, it, like, it builds naturally and makes sense as it happens. This also it doesn't go as deep into toxic masculinity. I think that's one of the few things that The Art of Self-Defense kind of holds over it. But I also think it goes into it just enough while also holding these other themes. Um, and the the stuff about him being Tyler Durden and when he has these insomnia episodes, him secretly being Tyler, it's handled like really well where when it happens, it makes sense. It's not like, Oh, but how did this happen? How did this happen? You don't have questions because it pieces itself together really well. Um, and then, of course, I think the reason why this is so successful, but movie, like specifically The Machinist, isn't as successful. I think it's because it has the flashy fighting, which is going to sound bad because I've spent so long praising this movie. Yeah. But the reason why I think it's so mainstream is because it has these advanced themes and this truly phenomenal story that anyone can enjoy but it also has this cover of being a movie about hitting each other and a fight club so mainstream audiences can enjoy this movie people who are into like like thematic and deep films can enjoy this it's just kind of a movie that works for everyone and i hate being that guy but in my opinion this is a perfect film i think it is like a perfect 10 out of 10 i truly adore everything in this movie i don't have an issue with it i i love this movie
1: i have so i haven't seen fight club but again i've heard about it a lot from pop culture Mm -hmm. and the thing is is that what you hear from pop culture isn't um sorry sorry it isn't like i don't know it doesn't talk about the in-depthness of this movie so you think that a part of kind of something that kind of comes off as negative almost is that because it appeals so well to the mass audience the mass audience isn't finding the overlaying themes that are so hard that they like work so well on that make the movie so great so would you agree Mm -hmm. with that that it's like
0: I do agree that that's sad, but I don't think that's a direct problem with the movie. I think it's the audience itself. Yeah. Because I think the movie needs to be viewed in a more serious tone than it is. I do think that the movie portrays everything. Like like I said, I think this is a 10 out of 10 movie with an audience that's like a 4 out of 10. Because a lot of the people watching this movie that still like this movie, besides the little group of people like me that enjoy it for the themes and stuff that still rewatch it for that, a lot of the people that still watch it are just kind of like men hitting each other. Woo, woo. And I, I think that's <laughs> less a problem with the film itself and more a problem with its marketing and who watches it.
1: So the audience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, I think it's a phenomenal movie. I enjoy it. Um, and that is the end of our 12 films like our art- artistic films um we are we're going to have to come back in a minute see if Chloe's ready and finish the uh, this podcast and talk about 12 Netflix originals so i'm going to end the recording and we can go see where she's at and yeah so I'm hopefully we'll be back right for now. If, the, if if the podcast is only like if the podcast is about to end if you're looking at the length right now and it is almost over it means that we did not come back and finish it because there was a technical problem. But hopefully, we'll see you in just a second.